0: I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Deanne Birch, author of Journey Through Fire and Ice, Shattered Dreams About the Arctic Circle. At the age of 23, new bride Deanne Birch accompanied her husband, Ernest, a.k.a. Tiger Birch, to the Inuit village of Kavallina, Alaska a barrier island 83 miles above the Arctic Circle. Tiger was conducting a study of the natives, but Deanna, a naive city girl, was completely unprepared for what she was about to experience. Tiger would say that what happened to them was bad luck. Deanne calls it destiny. Their life-threatening and harrowing experiences in Alaska transformed Deanne into a woman of strength who learned how to embrace challenge. Over 50 years later, she remembers that young girl who left on an unknown journey that will live in her heart forever. She has BA degrees in liberal arts and social work and has spent 30 years as a professional international photographer, teaching and lecturing in the United States and Canada. Welcome to the show, Deanne. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much. Well, I also think I left out, as we were talking just briefly before the show, apparently you have an award, a gold medal award for nonfiction. Is that it? Tell us about that.
1: That's correct. It's from the Nonfiction Association. I just got it um, two days ago.
0: Good. Great. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. I was very excited to get it. It is very exciting. Now let's get down to why you got it, which is, of course, writing this book 50 years ago, Alaska, which is very different, obviously, than it is today, 83 miles above the Arctic Circle. Uh, you went up there, as I described in the intro, as a, ver- a naive, young city girl. What were your expectations? What do you think was going to happen to you going up there with your husband and he's doing his research, and what were you going to do?
1: Uh, my expectations for, were actually I didn't have any expectations I remember the um, Friday, of good Fr- the Good Friday, the year we were leaving, and there was a terrific earthquake in, uh, in Anchorage. And when I woke up and heard about it, I thought, oh, good, now we're not going to have to go to Alaska. However, um, that, that didn't happen as Kivalina was not affected by the earthquake at all. And we left. Not, I had no idea what to expect and uh, my expectat- any expectations I had were absolutely blown away when I arrived in Kivalina.
0: All right. so you get there, you didn't really have expectations, you didn't know what to think, I guess, right? So you get there and you—I mean, I'm thinking about 50 years ago, going to Alaska. I've been to Alaska longer than 50 years ago, actually, when I was a teenager, and there was nothing there, even in the big cities, even in Anchorage. I mean, and you were not in a big city, so there you are with all of the women, the Native women. What did they expect of you? Where did you live? What did you? I mean, what did where? You know, where? What was your housing? Food? Uh, the uh, housing
1: that we had, actually, we had the nicest house in the village apart from the school teachers. Of course, we didn't have any plumbing or electricity or running water, but our house had one tiny bedroom. It was probably maybe six by nine feet, and then we had a living room that was probably seven feet by maybe 12, and then our kitchen would have been probably maybe nine by six feet, nine by nine. So our living space was very small, but compared to the rest of the village, it was huge. How did
0: the villagers, uh, how did the villagers, well, how did they respond to you? What did they think of you? That's a very good question.
1: They all knew my husband and they welcomed him back. And when I got off the plane, I felt like a total stranger there. And uh, the, women, the women that were up there were always suspicious uh, of a white woman because a lot of white women went into the village and really kind of told them that they were dirty and needed to change their ways. So I think they were very suspicious of me when I went up there. Um, gradually, I started to fit into the village.
0: How did you fit into the village? What were you doing that sort of allowed them to accept you? Well, I
1: actually did everything that they did. My husband was doing what they call a participant study, and he went out and hunted and fished with the men and brought home the spoils to, for me to clean. And so I I cleaned seals with the women and um, and uh, I also hung or also cleaned the fish and hung them up to dry so that we would have, 50 when we took when we took our camping trips one of the women uh, that I cut up seals with was very she I thought she was mean to me but actually she was trying to teach me and in the end I think she was around 85 years old she became quite a good friend of mine and came over to visit me almost every day as the winter set in
0: so she sort of took you under it sounds like she took you under her wing Uh, helping you?
1: Sort of. of, She did, um, but she was very intelligent. Uh, She knew about what was going on in the outside world. So I think she liked to come over and talk to me and get my opinions. I had one woman um, that I felt really was almost like a mother to me. She came into... She would come in when my husband was out fishing and hunting and check on me to make sure I was all right. She, uh, when my husband was burned and the house was full of smoke, she came over and she got me out of the smoke-filled building. She, when I look back on her, she was one of the most incredible women I had ever met.
0: Well, your husband talked about Tiger. He talked about that what happened to you and these harrowing experiences was bad luck. I read this in the interview. And you're saying you call it destiny. So let's go. What were the bad experiences? You just briefly mentioned it, the fire. List them for us. What happened and and, uh, what was the outcome? Well, we had actually, we had two bad
1: experiences. My husband took me on a camping trip. I don't know why he didn't take me to Anchorage, really but he thought we needed to get away from the village. So we left two days after Thanksgiving on a camping trip that was 30 miles upriver up from where we lived. Um, the, um, it was 30 below, and I wasn't really prepared for that kind of trip. I really hadn't been out on the, with the dog team very much, and I, I fr- almost, froze, almost froze my feet going up. Finally, my husband said to me, well, you can't just sit on the fledge. You've got to get out and run. Well, I didn't know that. He would never told me that. At any rate, we reached, the, we reached our destination, hoping to be alone for three days. The first night, we had a visitor come to our campsite. So that was our first night that was gone. The second night, we also had a visitor, and that was our second night alone that was gone. The third night, we were all by ourselves. We came home from being, and we were just freezing because it was probably by then 35 below. And when Tiger tried to light the Coleman stove, he, which was our source of heat in the tent, he realized that the tent, that there was, a pl- there was a plug in the Coleman stove. He worked for about an hour trying to get the plug out and it didn't work. So he said, well, our only alternative is now, I will build a little teepee outside of the, the house, outside of the outside of our tent. We had brought up another tent, so we built a little teepee with that tent. And he said to me, "Whatever you do, don't put your don't don't touch the fire." And as he said this, he put his foot in in the teepee, and um, of course the teepee burst into flames, and our whole tent went up. And we were left there in the 35 below with, with nothing except our dog team. So we had to head up the river. Fortunately, we found some men that were upriver that were camping upriver, and they took us in for two nights. If we hadn't found them, we never would have survived the camping trip.
0: You know, as you're telling the, the story, and I'm hearing you, as you're telling out. the story, Deanne, as you're telling the story, and uh, maybe we didn't really... I quite understand your husband's up there uh, doing research. Was he a sociologist? Was he, uh, you know, because it sounds like neither one of you were prepared for this, I'm calling it adventure, or to be up there in 30 below weather or, you know, running the dog teams or whatever you were supposed to do. I just want to take back a little bit how you got there and why. It doesn't sound like there was any, I, I was in the Peace Corps and there was so much instruction before you went to these, you know, in my case, it was South America. So you just kind of went up there, cold, literally cold. Or what was the preparation? No, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't.
1: He had worked up in Kivalina uh, at the Arctic Research Lab in 1960, and he and he lived like the Eskimos lived when he was up there. He had been. He was in anthropology, and he knew from the time he was young that he wanted to study the Inuit people that were up there. So he didn't go up cold at all. He'd had a dog team when he lived up there the last time. And, of course, he lived the life of a bachelor, didn't have a wife along. I don't think he was totally prepared to take a wife along, and he definitely wasn't prepared to have a fire up on a camping trip. There were a lot of ways that he wasn't prepared. I thought he had experienced everything, Because he had when one time he had been travelling from Kivalina to another village and he killed a wolf with his a rabid wolf with his bare hands. So I think he thought he could do everything, which of course turned out not to be true.
0: Yeah. And Dean, what about you? I mean, that was a different time, obviously, uh, fifty years ago. Do you think it would you would do? Uh, and you learned a lot from it. I, I, I mean, and I want to talk about that. Like those experiences changed your life in terms of who you are, and I assume the work you've done. Uh, but you kind of it sounds like went up there. You know, you were the wife, but you that and and dependent on him for the to take care of you. I guess uh, would you do the same today? Do you think or it, things? Would have been different.
1: Oh gosh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I would have done well. I probably take that back. I would have still been naive enough to not know what I was doing. But the 19 or the two this year, these years, if I were 23, I think I wouldn't be nearly as naive as I was back in the in the 60s. I think that I could have handled a lot better than I handled it in 19 in 1963 or 64 i mean however things have changed a lot up there we would have had at least had access to a telephone we would have had electricity and plumbing and our whole life would have been different had we been there in in the 2000s and it is, than we were then in 1964
0: uh, okay so things obviously would would have been different in lots of ways you just described some of them but my, what was the impact of going through that at that time as you say naive depend. depend what was the impact for you going through those experiences with your husband in a naive way dependent on him but and having some of it, you described the fire, and there were other experiences, which you describe in the book, um, really scary kinds of things. How has that impacted the way, when you came back to the United State, States, you're an international photographer, how you lived your life? Because it would seem to me that, obviously, that story that you've just written had a huge impact on your life and, and how you how you've lived your life.
1: I think that it did have a huge impact on my life. I think that when I came home, when we came home um, finally after, in 1965, I was pregnant and re- definitely ready to have a family at that point. I, the seeds, uh, we took a lot of pictures when we were up in Kivalina. And I think the, seed, or the seeds were planted at that time for me to become a professional photographer. However, I didn't really start photography and, and become serious about it until 1976. So I think, though, I do owe... Oh, we have a lot of photographs of, of our time in Kivalina during 1964-65. I had those negatives, or those sides, digitized uh, a couple of years ago. And I realized when I looked at the slides that we had created a slice of history up there. Actually, that was really exciting for me because I had retired in 2014, and I found that I had a whole new project to work on, which was um, working with those slides and perhaps doing a coffee table book of them at some point.
0: So right now, what did you say, 2014? So where are you right now with the project? i'm not
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I bought them already, that. and uh-huh. i probably i was I was hoping to to do it through a, through some kind of a um, company. I may do it through uh, there's a place called blurb Books, and people can just go to the website and buy it, so i 'm thinking of doing that, but right at the moment there 's a fundraiser that i 'm part of, and uh, my book is part of the fundraiser. So right at the moment, I'm so involved in that that I don't have time to think about anything else except getting the fundraiser over with.
0: Well, good luck with the fundraiser. How much money do you expect to, to get or to uh, raise?
1: Well, we had hoped for over 100000 It's a very small um, place in Harrisburg. It's called the Community Checkup Center, and it's for women and children who are underserved in the community. And I think my part in it is talk about is to talk about how um, Kivalina was underserved as far as medical as far as medical uh, services were, and how I'm gonna and I'm gonna relate that back to, of course, the community checkup center in Harrisburg. So we're hoping to raise. I think so far we've raised probably $125,000, and I think by by the end I'm hoping it's going to be at least $150.
0: Good luck. It sounds yeah. That sounds it sounds like you're going to make the goal. At least the way you're describing I it. I sure hope so. I do. T- <laughs> I hope you do. Okay. Professional, uh, a professional international photographer. Uh, when you say when I'm describing it as international, where did that take you? Where did that take you internationally, around the world with your photography? Well, it
1: took me all over Canada and the United States when I taught and lectured. I also uh, lectured in Sweden but i belonged to a group of photographers that was known as the xxv and we went all we went all over the united states we went one time we went to canada we also went to england spain um, and italy so i was extremely lucky with my career and you know it, that was another journey in itself
0: and how and i'm sort of trying to connect the two cuz i see them as connected but uh... That whole experience that you had as the naive little city, 23-year-old city girl and all that you had to go through um, prepared you for the work that you did, being able to travel internationally as a, as a, as a photographer and all the stuff that, that happens to you and comes up and you have to adjust to, it would seem to me that was like a really, a po- ended up being a positive beginning in the Arctic Circle.
1: I think it was, oh, I think it was positive. I think that I went up there as a very naive young girl, as you said, and um, I really, and as you said, I I didn't have any expectations. I was lonely. I was not used to anything that was going on up there, but after my husband was burned, I realized that I was a much stronger person than I thought I had been, and I think that prepared me for my future life, my future life I had a few tragedies in that I don't want to go into, but um, I think that helped me prepare for those tragedies that, that I've that I've had to go through during my life.
0: I think one of the things I, I share with you and my experience in the Peace Corps where we had no communication as well and no, you know, limited food and water and all of those kinds of things, when I got that and I that prepared me for it coming back to the United States. It was like appreciating living in the United States. And it has carried with me for all of these years. Like it's so easy living here, given all the stuff that happens, you know, you mentioned healthcare. We didn't have healthcare. We didn't have any medication, no drugs. We got sick. We have it all. And, and, and food that we can eat and water that we can drink at least. So, um, It gave me a completely different perspective in terms of where I, all throughout my life, I think. So I I was maybe making that comparison between your experience, my experience, and your experience in Alaska. I think you're
1: absolutely right about that. I think I came back and, and I was so glad to be able to eat whatever kind of food I could eat. A lot of the time, when, when we lived in Alaska, Tiger would go out hunting and he'd come back with with well, for example, caribou meat, which was actually very good. And we lived a lot on our Arctic char, and uh, also had seal liver. So I which love I'll Arctic like char. I get much. that at
0: the grocery store every. That's one of my favorite <laughs> fish. Mm-hmm. I said I love Arctic char. I eat that. Oh yes, once it's a really week. it is really yeah. good. But
1: <laughs> when we came back. I was just so happy to be able to have things like fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. and I'm sure you had the same experience when you were when you were working in the Peace Corps, but it was just it was just i mean, it opened up, well, I guess I shouldn't say a whole new way of life, but I had been so used to eating out of cans and eating the food that the natives that the natives ate that I think I was to and I was just so happy to be able to take a bath. Because we, of course we only had a big old wash tub to take take our baths in, and, and uh, it was wonderful to get back to the United States and be able and actually feel clean again.
0: Uh, that's a good point. That's what we. Uh, that's what I took a bath in. This like a, a pot, whatever you call it. It was just like a. And we had to boil all the food, all the vegetables. I stopped doing that and got sick and came back, and you know all the uh, parasites we had to be taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. But yes. Um, yeah, it was nice to take a bath, and it was nice to take a bath without all the cockroaches. Because in South America, there are a lot of bugs. Probably not the same thing in Alaska. A little bit different, but uh, no,
1: actually, that's really funny because my husband said when we were up there, he said, "Well, just be glad I didn't take you to South America." He said <laughs> you would have hated all the bugs. You would have hated this. You would have hated that. And I think in in some ways, your experience might have been, it might have been a little bit more difficult in some ways. And in some ways, of course, dealing with the cold and dealing with um, so many of the difficult things up there, the all-night darkness, I think that was very difficult. Um, but I think your situation was just about as difficult as mine.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was very similar. So what would you say to, uh, well, let's say young women today, take a trip, do something, do go above your comfort, you know, above your comfort level, do things that will, and when you're able to do that before you have children, perhaps when you're in your 20s, um, what would be your advice to to young women today? Well,
1: well I think young women are very different than, than they were when I, was, when I was young. I was afraid to say to my husband things like, well, I don't want to do that. Why don't you cut out the seals? Whereas women today, they'll speak up, and they'll talk about things with their husbands and tell them that they don't want to do things. I think young women of today have a much better sense of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish, and most of them get married at a later age than I did. So a lot of them have already traveled by the time they're ready to get married. A lot of them have careers. I did not have a career. I had started out thinking I was going to be a social worker, and that all changed. Um, <clears throat> but I would tell them that, uh, that they should do whatever they want to do before, maybe even before they get married, because they might not have a chance to do it after they get married.
0: Right, so timing is important. Be sure before you get committed, either to children or your partner or whomever, do what you want to do and then be able, when you do have a partner speak the truth, be able to speak your own truth, be able to stand up for yourself because I think women are still struggling with that not only with their partners but also in their careers in business, you know, whatever businesses they choose to be in or as entrepreneurs I mean, it's 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 an ongoing struggle, that's what I would say But um, yeah,
1: You're absolutely right when I was um, photographing, I was asked to photograph several doctors at the Hershey Medical Center and I went in to photograph the Believe it or not, he was the head of OBGYN, and he looked at me and realized I was a woman, and I knew right from the beginning that he wasn't going to like the photographs. He told me where he wanted to be photographed, and of course, I couldn't do it there because the lighting wasn't correct, and he said to me at the end, he said, well, what are you going to do if I don't like my photographs, and I don't think I answered him, but of course, a week later when he got the photographs or got the proofs of the photographs, that was before digital photography, they phoned me up and they said, Dr. So-and-so doesn't like his photographs. They said, would you come back and take them again? And I was able to stick up for myself and I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I did it the best job I could and I knew right from the beginning he wasn't going to like the photographs. And by the way, I'm not going to do any more photographs for the Hershey Med Center. So that was my response. But it was because I was a woman that I knew he wasn't going to like the photographs.
0: Great response that uh, you certainly did speak your truth and stand up for yourself and for your profession and for your work. Um, so that's a good ending. We only have a couple minutes left. I like it. I want people need to read your story, your whole story, your whole journey, which is Journey Through Fire and Ice, Shattered Dreams About the Arctic Circle, Deanne Birch. Uh, Deanne, what is there a website we can go to to get more information about the, the book or, um, or two, about the work you're doing? I have two. Doing? I have an author's
1: okay. website on, on my Facebook page. So it's called Deanne Birch Author. And then I have it's DeanneBirch dot com is my is my uh, writer's website that anybody can go to. Also, um, the book is available on on Amazon, and it can be ordered through independent bookstores.
0: Great! So there are a lot of places we can have access to the book. Well, good luck with the book and also the fundraising. Um, both obviously excellent projects. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Deanne Birch.
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.